For quite a while when I've been ministering, we've been following the children of Israel as they moved out of Egypt towards their promised land. Because the Bible tells us in uh, 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, the 11th verse, it says that all the tests the in, they endured, the children of Israel endured on their way through the wilderness are a symbolic picture, an example that provides us with a warning so that we can learn through what they experienced. For we live in a time when the purpose of all the ages past is now completing its goal within us. So what Paul was saying, when we study the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, headed towards their promised land, we can see what caused them to uh, not be able to enter in and what caused them to be able, the ones that walked in faith, to be able to enter in. So we've been studying that over and over. The main reason, because I feel like that the Lord is showing us as a congregation and individually that he has given all of us promises. We see some in the word of God. We may have received promises in our lives from uh, other, from maybe a prophetic word or the Lord has spoken to us. But he has promised us great and mighty things. He's actually promised us all things that pertain to life and to godliness. So we're all on a journey to receive our promise. We as a church, for 45 years, we have been looking towards the promised land. And as Eugene shared with us this morning, we're right on the edge. We're on the brink. We can look over into our promised land, and it's not going to be long till we're going to be able to move right on in. So the children of Israel did this twice. They came up to the edge of the promised land. They sent out spies, 12 spies. The spies came back and gave them the report. The report of the land itself was good, but there were giants and they had all this negative stuff. And so we, we have studied their unbelief. We've studied how they cried and moaned and said, we can't do it. We just can't do it. Ticked God off. And so God said, you will wander in the wilderness for 40 years. So they didn't get to go in. The ones that left Egypt that were uh, 20 years old and over didn't get to go in. But they wandered for 40 years. They wondered, and I wonder what they were doing all this time because there were children that were growing up all of this time. And in my mind, if I would have been there, I would have gathered my children and said, children, now let me tell you, don't do this. And I would go through all the different things that had happened in, before they got to the promised land the first time. 
the murmuring, the complaining, and all the unbelief and the, the un inability to really know God and to really trust God. And so if it would have been me, I would have said, now listen, children. I want to tell you what God did for us. I want to tell you about the Red Sea. I want to tell you about the ten plagues. I want to tell you all of this. And, he, and water out of the rock, the manna, all of these things. I want you to know that God is bigger than we thought he was. Because I believe that some of this happened because now there's a different generation that is coming to the Red Sea. I mean to the Jordan River. Looking over into the promised land. And I can, ex I can imagine the excitement. I don't think it was real comfortable in the wilderness. I don't know uh, their accommodations. But I know that they had to follow the cloud and follow the fire. And just when they get all settled in, the cloud would move. So they had to move. It says they wandered in the wilderness. So they didn't get to stay one place very long. They just kept wandering in the wilderness. So it wasn't very comfortable for them, I don't think. And they had this promise that this is land that you're going to have some houses that you're going to be able to just live in. You're going to have vineyards that you didn't plant. It's going to be a good land. And finally, finally they're coming up to the Jordan one more time. And this time, this is, a, this is a different group of people. This is a group of people that um, they know God a little bit better. They see the mistakes that were made. And now they're coming up to the Jordan River, getting ready to pass over into the promised land. And up until this time, their problems were internal. They had one conflict right off the bat with Amalek. But then all the rest of the problems that they faced was internal. Rebellion. Adultery. All kinds of things that happened to cause... There's lots of people died because God just flat smote them. Because they just didn't do what he told them to do. God doesn't necessarily smite us today. But, you know, if that was happening in our midst, I think we would, we would kind of say, okay, teach me what I need to do. I'm going to do this thing right. So now they're getting ready to go into a land that they already know has some outward opposition. They know there's some giants there. They're, they know there's some walled cities there. They know that they are going to go into a land and take over enemy territory. Now, this is a little different than what they had been doing for 40 years. And so now we approach in Joshua, the third chapter. Now we're approaching Jordan one more time. And I believe that as a church, this is where we're at. I don't think it's just this church. I think it's the church as a whole, the body of Christ all around the world. We're, get, we're up to the edge of something. 
that God is getting ready to do something. We don't know exactly what he's getting ready to do. We have some ideas. But now we're at this edge. And then, and verse 1 says, Joshua rose early in the morning, and they removed from Shittim and came to the Jordan. He and all the Israelites and lodged there before passing over. After three days, the officers went through the camp, com commanding the people. Now, they, they began to give some instructions, and their instructions were for a reason. They wanted to do this right this time. So they, he commanded the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God, being born by the Levitical priest, set out from where you are and follow it. Stop right there. First of all, the importance was put on the fact that they needed to follow the Ark. Now, the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God. So, the first instruction was to follow the presence of God. Follow the God that we, they were in covenant with. So, then verse 4. Yet a space shall be kept between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure... Come not near it. Why? So that you may be able to see the ark and know the way you must go, for you have not passed this way before. Now, I truly believe that we as a church, individuals, corporately, the body of Christ, we have not gone this way before. We don't know what's ahead of us. We can't do church as usual. We must follow God and be sure that we keep our eyes focused on where, where God is going in this day and hour. Because we haven't passed this way before. As a church, we've been in this building for about 42 years We've never built a building before. We've never did what we're doing today. And let me tell you something. We're not just going into that building to say, yay, we have a new building. We are going into that building because this is going to be headquarters to take over enemy territory in Guymon, Oklahoma and the surrounding area. We're not just going to play church. Do you think the enemy's going to like that very well? Then I think we're going to have to prepare ourselves for outward opposition. So, we've been talking about the inward for quite a while. So, how do we prepare? So, first of all, following, following the presence of the Lord keeping our eyes on what God is doing, and then the next verse, please. And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, that is, separate yourselves for a special holy 
purpose. Now I'm going to just stop here for just a second. He's talking about a word that we don't talk about very much in church. That's sanctification. But the Bible is full of it. Old Testament and New Testament. There is such a thing that we must do and we have to do it for ourselves. And that is sanctify ourselves. Which means we separate ourselves for a special holy purpose. For this reason. Tomorrow. The Lord will do wonders among you. I don't know about you, but that gives me chills. I guess you could call them holy goosebumps. But I, tr I believe that as we move into our promised land, God wants to do wonders among us. He's ready for the, the harvest of souls to come into the kingdom of God before he comes back again. It's important to him. It should be important to us. So uh, I want to look at Exodus, the 19th chapter, because see, when God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, he wasn't just bringing them out of slavery. And he wasn't just taking them to the, the promised land. He had something in his heart that was very, very important to him. So in Exodus, the 19th chapter, starting in verse 4, this is God speaking. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. We've read about it. And how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. <clears throat> that was the first thing in God's heart. Here was a group of people, slaves. They didn't know a thing about God. Joseph knew about God when he went down into Egypt. But after a while, new generations arose and they became slaves. And they didn't know anything about God. And so the first thing God wanted to do was get them out to bring them to him. Now, uh, verse, uh, verse 5. Now, therefore, now, therefore, if you will obey my voice in truth and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own particular possession and treasure from among and above all people, for all the earth is mine. Wow. What a position. He was calling them all into this wonderful position of being kings and priests for him. And everybody would know that they were God's treasures. I mean, they, they responded exactly the way we would have responded. In verse 8. And all the people answered together and said, yes. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of, of the people to the Lord. So that sounds great. Until we get into Exodus 20, which is the very next chapter. Starting in, uh, let me, I think we'll just 
No, we're going to do it in the, the amplified verse. Verse 19. Then there was this little time where God actually did reveal himself. And there was thunders, lightnings, the mountains shook, there was smoke, there was fire. I mean, there was loud, uh, even a trumpet. And uh, the people said, oh, my goodness. That is God? Whoa. And they became afraid of God. And so they went to Moses. And they said to Moses, you speak to us. And we will listen. But let not God speak to us lest we die. Next verse. And Moses said to the people, fear not. For God has come to prove you so that the reverential fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. This is a, leave that up there. This is a powerful scripture. It sounds like Moses was speaking out of both sides of his mouth. Don't fear, but fear. Don't fear, but fear. What's the deal? He's saying, don't fear God, but fear God. What he was saying was there are two different kinds of fear. You can be afraid of God. And the reason why a person is afraid of God is because they have something to hide. But God wants us to have the fear of God so that we won't sin. Fear, the fear of God, let me just kind of define that just a little bit. It's reverence for God, profound awe, and respect inspired by something great. It is to esteem, to respect, to honor, to venerate, and adore God above anyone or anything else. To hate what he hates and love what he loves. I truly believe that in the American church we sometimes lack this fear of God. And because we lack the fear of God we're not afraid to sin. Because the fear of God will keep you from sinning. And today I believe in the church, not this church, but some churches, sin is kind of like, oh, no big deal. No big deal. God's a God of grace. He forgives. I even heard a, a minister of, a minister that um, he's well known all over the world. And I don't think everything he teaches is wrong, but I heard one thing he said, and it just grieved my heart. He said, some people preach that Christians need to repent. He said, you don't need to repent if you're a Christian. And I thought, I have, and I've needed to. So uh, 
sometimes there's not a fear of God. They, they think that sin is no big deal. And they think that sin, that God makes allowances for sin. You know, he doesn't make allowances for sin. He makes provision for sin. He said, if you sin, confess your sins, and he will be faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. God hates sin. You know, I had an example happen in my house just this last week. Uh, you all know that Brad and Tammy was here. And that's my, for you that don't know, that's my son. He preached here last Sunday. My son and my daughter-in-law who live in Enid, and he comes once a month and preaches here. And um, every time they come, this is a given. They bring their dog, Bella. Now, Bella is a strange-looking dog. It is a giant poodle. Giant poodle. And she is just as human as you can be. I mean, as a dog can be. I mean, I, I could go on and on and tell you about this dog. I've never really loved the dog. But uh, <laughs> she doesn't love me either. And so um, on Tuesday, Brad, uh, Brad uh, he, we had meetings all morning long here at the church with the staff and so on. Brad was was going through some things and helping us as we get ready to move into our new building. And so it lasted all, all morning long and, and in up to 3 o'clock before I got home. So I got home before Brad and Tammy did. Now, just a backstory. This is my backstory. Uh, after Pastor Charlie died, um, I decided to fix up the bedroom and make it into a girly room. And so I, uh, we had this old brown carpet in my bedroom that was, had been there for over, probably 50 years. And so I, I, a friend of mine is an interior decorator, and so she came in, she, she decorated my bedroom, and we, I bought this beautiful carpet. It's silver, kind of a silver color. It's not exactly white, but it's the lightest carpet I've ever had in my whole life. And so I don't walk very often. If I'm outside, I take my shoes off before I go on that carpet. And just recently, my bedroom, my, I mean, my basement had flooded, and the crawl hole was back in the closet, and so the workers had to walk through my bedroom, and so I put down covers, all you know, blankets all over the floor so they wouldn't get a drop of dirt on this carpet. So I, I very much esteemed this carpet. So, <clears throat> back to Bella. Bella is totally housebroke. Unless she has eaten a lot of meat and we've left her there for five or six hours by herself and forgot to shut the bedroom door. When I got home, I thought, what is that on my bedroom floor? <laughs> and there was a strange odor that was filled the house. Well, it didn't take me long to figure out what had happened on that carpet. And my thought was, Bella, 
You had all the rest of the house. Why did you choose my carpet? And I got firsthand knowledge of what it feels like to have contamination in my life. Long story short, I called Brad immediately. <laughs> Your dog has, and I use that word, on my carpet, my carpet. He said, I'll be right there. <laughs> so he got the dirty job. We pulled out the carpet, you know, the, carp the can that cleans your carpet, little can of stuff that says pet stains on it. He worked and worked and worked on that. And the next morning when I got up, I mean, it looked pretty good after when they left. Next morning when I got up, there was this stain there. And I thought, I didn't even let people walk on this carpet. And now look, my poor carpet is stained. And so I did what anybody else would do. We, I took the blood of Jesus. No, that's not what I did. I took the carpet cleaner. <laughs> and I sprayed it. And I worked on that until that stain was gone. Now, why did I share that experience with you? Not just because it was gross. But you probably will remember it. Because God hates sin. You are his pristine creation he loves you dearly and he knows what sin does in your life sin contaminates sin stinks sin destroys the purity in your life and God hates sin now, let me just tell you this. He does not hate the sinner. I do not hate Bella. I don't like her sometimes. <laughs> and she did not please me that day. But I hated what she did to that carpet. And that's the way it is with God. Our awesome, holy God. He said he wanted the children of Israel to be a holy priesthood. He wanted them to serve him and come to him. And, and they have an intimate relationship with him. But let me tell you, the only way that you're going to have an intimate relationship with God is if you fear him in the sense of reverencing him so you won't sin. Sin separates you from the intimacy of God. It contaminates. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. Like I thanked God for that can of carpet cleaner that day. Thank God. I was going to bring it and say, you know what the blood of Jesus looks like? <laughs> it cleanses. Cleanses you from all righteousness so uh, I think one reason why we don't fear God like we should 
is because we really don't know what God is like that much. We may have dumbed him down and made him just like a, our little buddy. And you know what? He wants that kind of relationship, but he's not our little buddy. He is the most high God. Isaiah, in chapter 6. Did you put up that? In the year that King Uzziah died in a vision, this is, this is Isaiah speaking, I saw the Lord setting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the skirts of his train filled the most holy part of the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two each covering his own face, and with two each covering his feet, and with two each they flew, and one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook, at the voice of him who cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone and ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Wow. If we ever see ourselves compared to the Most High God, the God of the universe. How can we not have a holy reverence of him? I, I was reading in this book, uh, Heaven Close Encounters of the God Kind by Jesse Duplantis. I don't know if, uh, any, if everybody here knows who Jesse Duplantis was, but... He's, uh, he's a minister of the gospel and uh, has been in my life for a long time. As I, I listen to him quite often. And, uh, but in, uh, I think it was, uh, let me see what year it was. I jotted that down so I wouldn't forget. Um, 1988. He was in a meeting and he went back to his hotel room and was praying. He felt compelled to pray. And as he was praying, he was caught up to heaven. And he spent five, and, five hours and 15 minutes in heaven. And he writes about that in this book. And I want to just read you what he said about going to the throne of God. He said, they approached the throne. And there were several big angels with wings flying around the room. They were huge their faces were distinctive as though carefully chiseled. They looked like they had a 30-foot wingspan. The angel with me didn't have wings. He looked just like a human being. The closer I got to the throne of God, the weaker I became because of the glory of God. When you get to the throne, nothing compares to the glory of God. When the light of the throne hit me, I couldn't stand up. I fell down, and the angel gave me more of the fruit, saying, Eat this so you can withstand the glory of God. I ate it, but my knees had just buckled, 
and I stayed on the floor. Everything in heaven is beautiful. The floor looked like marble with gold in it, gold threads or veins running through the marble. Although I couldn't look up for a very long time, I looked up from the floor in the direction of the overwhelming light, and I saw him. I saw Elohim, Jehovah God, Yahweh, sitting on the throne. But I saw just his feet, only his feet. The light was so bright that came from him, I couldn't see his face. I had to keep looking down. The light was so intense. But I looked again, and I saw the lower part of his hand resting on the arm of the throne. He is so big, you can't describe him in dimensions. His hand is huge. His body, the form of it is sort of like energy, spirit. There's a wall around the throne, but the throne is higher than the wall. That's why you can see the throne from every direction, from any distance. And that power, the energy like smoke of God, covers all around the, the chair of the throne itself. I heard a sound, whoosh. There was a massive amount of energy in that place. That's the only way I can explain it. It was God's power. The angels with wings were circling the throne, singing and shouting, the great God Jehovah. Every time they circled the throne, they praised God because they saw a new facet of him that had never been seen before. And they expressed what they saw by saying, holy, holy, holy. That's how vast God is. Even though the angels have been flying around God's throne since the beginning of their existence, they are still seeing new revelations of his character, his love, and his glory. There was a cloud that looked like smoke going up from the throne, and I heard that massive sound, whoosh. It was power like I never experienced in my life. Then I saw God's finger barely move, and when it moved, an angel was flying near him and was thrown up against the wall. Bam. It didn't hurt the angel, but I felt if God just barely moved, a universe could be annihilated. We don't really know a lot about the God that we're serving. We could go on and on about his power. And yet, sometimes there is not the reverent awe that we need to have for our God. I, I remember reading um, what John Bevere said in his book, The Awe of God. He talked about, uh, most of you probably remember Jim Baker. You know, he was on television, known around the world had a great ministry, and yet he, uh, he committed male fraud and adultery, and he was, he was sentenced to 45 years in prison. He just served five of those 45 years. But he, he asked John Bevere to come and visit him. And while John was there, he asked Jim Baker this. When did you stop loving Jesus? And Jim said, I never 
stopped loving Jesus. And he said, what do you mean? John said, what do you mean you didn't love Jesus, that you kept loving Jesus, that you never stopped loving Jesus? You committed adultery, mail fraud. Jim Baker said, I never stopped loving Jesus. I just didn't fear him. I lost the fear of God. And we just read, the fear of God is what keeps us from sinning. I'm reminded of 1 first, first Peter, uh, the fourth chapter. Here it is. So since Christ suffered in the flesh for us, for you, arm yourself with the same thought and purpose to patiently suffer rather than fail to please God. Now let me just stop there. God loves everyone. We know that the Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We know God loves everyone, but he is not pleased with everyone. There's a difference. And so here it says to patiently uh, suffer rather than fail to please God. For whoever has suffered in the flesh, having the mind of Christ, is done with intentional sin and has stopped pleasing himself and the world and pleases God. Now, I think, um, let me just say this. I want to throw this in because this is important. When Jesse Duplantis was taken to heaven, Jesus had one message for him to bring back to the earth. He said, I brought you here to tell, for you to tell my people that I am coming soon. Now, there's something about having a sense that maybe Jesus could come back any time that creates in us the fear of God and cleanses us. Uh, on uh, May the 24th of this year, I woke up from a sound sleep. <clears throat> and this doesn't happen very often. But I, I mean that I wake up from a sound sleep. No, I, that happens every day. Uh, but what happened next <laughs> doesn't happen very often because I heard God say something to me. I woke up to the presence of the Lord. I felt the presence of the Lord in my room. And I heard him say, I am coming soon. Get, <clears throat> get my people ready for my coming, and then they will be ready for anything. And that's the first time I've heard the Lord say that to me for a long, long time. My question is, why would, he, why would God take Jesse to Planus all the way to heaven, give him that message, to bring back to the church in this day and hour if he wasn't coming in our generation. It's a message for us. 
get ready. So Colossians 1.10. Excuse me, I think it's 10.1. Let me see. Did I put that down, uh, Martha? Colossians? Where did I put that? Okay, Colossians 1.10. Okay. This is the information for us today. That you may walk, live, and conduct yourself, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, and desiring to please Him in all things, bearing fruit in every good work, and steadily growing and increasing in the knowledge of God with fuller, deeper, and clearer insight, acquaintance, and recognition. Our instructions are to live our life and our conduct to please God. Is that our first thought when we wake up of a morning? To please God? If you really know God, everything that God asks us to do is for our good. If he tells you to give up anything in your life, it's because it's not doing you any good. It's causing you harm. I want to end this, uh, this morning, and I just barely got into the subject, but I want to end this morning with Philippians, the first chapter. Uh, uh, some scriptures in Philippians 1. Starting in... Excuse me. Wrong... Wrong chapter. It's Philippians 2. I'm going to start in verse 12. This is Paul writing to the Philippians, and he says, Therefore, my dear ones, as you have always obeyed my suggestions, so now, not only with the enthusiasm you should, she would show in my presence, but much more because I am absent. This is really where I'm going to start. Work out. Cultivate. Carry out to the goal and fully complete your own salvation with reverence and awe and trembling, with self-distrust and serious caution, tenderness of conscience, watchfulness against temptation, timidly shrinking from whatever might offend God and discredit the name of Christ. Now, I'm going to stop there for just a minute. That's what we're talking about this morning. If God is number one in your life, you are a child of the Most High God. Why would you not want to please Him? And why would it not bother us if we would offend Him? We don't do it because we're afraid of him. Afraid he's going to strike us down. That's not the God we serve. We don't do it. We don't sin because we love God and we want to please him. 
I'm wrestling with, there's two, there's two different ways I need to go, but I don't have time. But there is positional holiness, and there is behavioral holiness. When we're born again, positionally, it's like when I said I do to Charles Mendenhall, I became his wife. I didn't get more wife as I went along. And 60 years later, I still was as much his wife the first day as I was the 60th day. But I began to pursue wifehood. And I became more and more wifely in my behavior. I learned what he liked to eat, and I fixed it. I did, you know, I learned what aggravated him, and I tried not to do it. There was, there was a process, and this is what we're talking about now, is the process of the behavior of working out what God has done on the inside of us when we were born again into our behavior and into our lifestyle. So God could say, be ye holy as I am holy. And a proper translation of that is, be becoming holy as I am holy. More and more and more and more and more like Jesus. More and more. If you were born again when you were a little child, you should be a way more like Jesus than you was then. That's where we're headed. And so he's, this is what he's saying. He's saying, uh, with fear, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now go on to the next um, verse, please. This is a part I want to kind of end with this morning. Not in your own strength. For it is God who is all the while effectually at work in you, energizing and creating in you the power and the desire both to will and to work for his good pleasure, satisfaction, and delight. God did not just tell us to become like him and then just leave us alone and say, well, figure it out for yourself. He's working with us and in us to help us to become what all the time our spirit wants to be. You know, I use the example of me uh, being married to my husband. But for years, years and years, I didn't really know how to love my husband. And I know I, I needed to. Life was better when I acted like it. But I just, you know... Just, I just didn't feel like I had it. I didn't feel like I was doing it right. And I've shared this with you many times, but some of you haven't heard it. One night, I just had had it, trying to figure it all out. And I said, Lord, I don't know what to do. Help me to love my husband. And the next morning, when I woke up, I was madly in love with my husband. Ta-da! I love that man. Everything changed whenever the Holy Spirit got involved. And he created on the inside of me the will, the desire, and the power to do what I couldn't do myself. This is what grace is. 
Do you want to know what grace is? It's God's power working in you, helping you to do what you can't do on your own. And so we have this promise. It's not in your own strength. You see something that needs to be changed. You have a sin that you just cannot get rid of. You need help. Supernatural help. And you go to the one that can help. And you say, Lord, I can't do this on my own. I need your help. Help me too whatever you need. So verse 13, not in your own strength, for it is God who is all the while effectually at work in you, energizing and creating in you the power and the desire both to will and to work for his good pleasure, satisfaction, and delight. Verse 14, so quit complaining. Oh, that's what it says. Do all things without grumbling and fault-finding and complaining against God. Well, he just made me this way. No, he didn't. If you're doing anything that in God's eyes is a sin, he did not make you that way. He never made someone be something that he forbid them to be. If he calls it an abomination... It is an abomination, and he didn't make you that way. Just saying. So, don't question and doubt among yourselves. Verse 15, why? So that you may show yourselves to be blameless, guiltless, innocent, and uncontaminated children of God. I love this part. Can we get there? Without blemish, faultless, unrebukable, in the midst of a crooked and wicked generation that is spiritually perverted, yeah, and perverse, yeah, among whom you are seen as bright lights, stars or beacons shining out clearly in this dark world. This is what it's all about. Holding out to it. And offering to all men the word of life. So that in the day of Christ I may have something of which exultantly to rejoice and glory. In that I did not run my race in vain or spend my labor to no purpose. Mm. You know, I'm, re- I'm reaching the end of my race. I don't know how long, much longer it is. I have several laps probably. But I'm going to tell you, this is the greatest thing you can have in your life is to know that you have not run your race in vain and your labors were to no purpose that's what's important to God and that's what the fear of God can do in our lives so as we approach the end of our journey getting ready to go into our promised land God's getting us ready. He's saying, sanctify yourself. Because there's giants in that land. And I want you to be overcomers. And in your individual lives. And the one thing that we can take with us, if we cleanse ourselves and sanctify ourselves, we can know this for a fact. God is with us. 
And he, we can keep our eyes on him. And he is going to do wonders among us. Stand with me. Now, a message like this, there's a lot, uh, you know, this may be a correction message for some of you. Maybe an encouraging message for some of you. But I want to give you an opportunity. If the fear of God has not been in your life, and you've allowed your life to be sloppy, spiritually speaking, this is a time to make a new decision. It's an important thing that we need to do in this day and hour. I don't know when Jesus is coming back. But I know one thing for sure. We're all going to face a judgment seat of Christ. Someday. Whether it's through death. Or whether it's through the rapture. I don't know. But I do know one thing. This is serious times. This is very serious. It's not a time to play church. And it's not a time to walk on the very edge of the grace of God. This is a time to have the reverence for God that we need. That keeps us drawn up close to Him. Because the world is looking for those lights. Because they are pretty dark. It's pretty dark out there. Look, the world is looking for the light. They're looking for hope. And you can be that hope. Bow your head this morning. <clears throat> now, uh, I want you to search your heart. See if there is truly a fear of God in your heart. That, if not, I want you to repent. I want you to say, Lord, I'm so sorry that you were not first place in my life. I do see how awesome and holy you are, and I want my life to be that awesome and holy. I want you to shine forth through me. Now I just ask you if that's you, pray that prayer Lord forgive me I repent today show yourself to me in a greater way help me help me in the areas that I need help in to become pure and holy in your sight and let me tell you this church it's not what you do at church. Many times it's what you do in your bedroom, at home. When nobody's looking, you think nobody's looking. God sees everything and he knows your thoughts. So we cleanse ourselves. Joshua told the people, sanctify yourself. It's you that sanctifies yourself by applying the blood of Jesus to your life. 
It has been our honor to offer this message today. If you would like to partner with us as we continue to bring the Word of God, we would ask that you prayerfully consider supporting Victory Center with a financial donation. You may do so today via the online giving portal at victorycenter.org. Thank you.